Well, I was ready for church early this morning and excited to be in church. I may be wound, too, uh, wound a bit too tight now after all the singing. Been a good service this morning. I've enjoyed it. I look at my sermon this morning. I look at my watch. And uh, I have a 45-minute sermon. I've got 29 minutes to preach it. So you folks listen fast, all right? I'm going to move fast. You listen fast. I'm going to preach this morning on the subject, God's vision of me or God's vision of you, God's vision of us. Heavenly Father, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, your will be accomplished. I yield the very best way I know how to your will. And Lord, as I prepared the message for this morning, in several days working on this very truth that I'll preach in these next 20-some minutes, I want you to be honored and glorified. I want your will to be accomplished. I want you to be pleased and satisfied. And so, Lord, I ask that your power, uh, Lord, rest upon me. I pray that your wisdom be given to me this morning to accomplish your will. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. John chapter 1 is an exciting chapter. It is this chapter where John declares, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. It's the chapter that, 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 that the Lord Jesus begins to call his disciples that will follow him and that will serve him. He calls Andrew. Andrew gets Simon. He calls Philip and Philip tells Nathaniel, you've got to come and see him. We found the one that the prophets have said that this is the Christ. Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Lazarus? He said, well, come and see. I love that. I could take 30 minutes right there and say, Take all your doubt you want, just come and see. Just come and see. I'm glad for the day I came to see. And I want to tell you, he's more than I ever longed for. He's more than I ever imagined, I ever dreamed. He said, Nathaniel, come and see. And before Nathaniel could greet him and introduce himself to Jesus, Jesus said, you're Nathaniel. An Israelite in whom is no guile. He said, how'd you know that? He said, I saw you when you was under the fig tree. He said, fig tree, how'd you know that? Can I tell you something? God has a vision of us. I want us to see this morning. May I give a bit of a testimony? There was a time in my life that I was driven to do all I could do for the Lord. I'd grown up in church and in a Christian home. And I'd seen the spiritual need of America and that need that we need to keep God first and foremost in our life. From the time I was a teenager, I had a burden for the spiritual need of what I saw in a nation. I was born in the 60s and went to school, of course, and beginning in the early 70s, or late 60s, I'm sorry, and through the 70s. And that was a time of rebellion against God and authority. Standards of decency and morality were challenged. College campuses changed from places of primarily education and training to a place to learn expression of self and self-reliance. For the first time in history, we saw the Ten Commandments mocked. The Supreme Court outlawed prayer in schools and the Bible in schools. Abington versus Shemp, the Supreme Court case in 1963 was a landmark case that changed the direction of our nation. In the early 70s, our, our nation's highest court said it is okay to murder the unwanted and unborn. It was a time of rebellion. Our soldiers, for the first time in our history, 
were treated in a disrespectful manner. The need for a spiritual awakening was great and it is yet today. I began to read biographies of men that I'll refer to as great men as Jeremiah referred to the great men of his day. I read of men who changed the world for good, spiritually for good. I read about many of them. I read about laymen who gave their lives to serve the Lord. I'm talking about men like D.L. Moody that gave himself uh, to reach boys and girls to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ as a layman. They said to Moody, you bring all of these kids to Sunday school. You bring all of these kids, you ought to preach. Moody said, I'm not a preacher. They said, but you ought to. You're the one that's bringing hundreds of kids in to hear. And so Moody preached, and after his sermon, they said, you keep bringing them, and we'll do the preaching. But God did call Moody to preach, and what a marvelous work he did. I read the stories of preachers, evangelists, missionaries, and laymen that were on fire for God. The book entitled The Fox's Book of Martyrs recorded the testimonies of Christians who in years past had died a martyr's death for their faith in Christ. And those biographies coupled with a great spiritual need of America caused a fire to burn within me to want to make a difference for the cause of Christ and the spiritual dearth that was going on in our nation. I wanted to do a work that would make an impact for Christ and spirituality, so I began to pray. I not only prayed, I fasted and prayed. I not only spent time in the Word of God and prayer, I spent time reading every day the Bible and begging God to fill me with His Spirit because I so hungered to, to do a work for God. Then one day, after a few years into ministry, a truth, a truth dawned on me. I did not want to do or be something great for God. I wanted God to use me as He saw fit. There's a great big difference. I went from wanting to do something great for God and I recognized a truth It's not what I could do for God. It's what God could do through me. My motivation and my fear was that I was selling myself short and worse selling God short of what could be done with a life. And so I traded my power for his. I traded my strength for his. I traded my vision for his. I traded my will for his and said, Lord, I don't want to do a great work for you. I just want to give myself to you and you can do whatever you want to do with me. I went back and I reread those biographies. I reread the Bible with that thought in mind and, 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 and the key to the mighty works that men had done and I'd missed it all along was not what they had done for God but they had yielded themselves to God and God gave to them His power and it was greatness because of what God did through them not what they did for God. I remember as a boy and as a teenager I'd be doing work around the house and farm and whatever chore my dad would give me to do and whether it be cleaning out the barn or working in the garden and, 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 and I, I can just see this in my mind's eye my dad standing there watching me work and toiling and, 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 and after a while he would say son can I show you something? Sure. And my dad would show me here's how you use a mattock and it won't be as hard on you. I, I remember him saying son the reason sledgehammer is so heavy is so it can do the work. You don't have to do all the work. And as I yielded myself to his instruction, I found that those tools were there 
to make the job easier for me. May I say, we don't exist so we can do something for God. We exist that we may yield as vessels and tools and instruments for God to do with as He will. Now don't don't have humanistic thinking to say, well, how in the world will I be happy if I just yield myself to serve God? Come and see. Come and see for happiness and joy is when we yield ourselves to the Creator that made us. John was not a great man because of what he did for God. He was a great man because he yielded himself to the will of God in life and in death. And Jesus said John was the greatest of men to ever preach the gospel because he yielded himself to do the will of God. The same was true of Nehemiah. The same was true of Peter who preached at Pentecost and 3,000 were saved and baptized. The same was true of Paul as he took those three different missionary journeys and the gospel uh, was used as a fire to to set on fire a trail that would be ablaze of the gospel and the gospel would eventually come even to our nation. All of the things that we would do for God to use us are the same. Whether we want God to use us or us serve Him. And when I went back to a time in prayer, it wasn't me begging God to use me. It was me yielding myself to God realizing He wanted to use me all along. It wasn't a matter of God asking God for his power so I could do what I wanted to do for him. It was a matter of yielding to him and God saying, I'll empower you to do that for me. So you see, the the, the behaviors were the same, but there's a great big difference in hungering to do something for God or yielding your life to let God do something with you. The story of the musician advertised to play the world's most expensive violin uh, in New York City made a difference in my life. I read the story. I read all of the advertisements and the excitement as they advertised that the uh, that the certain musician was going to play the world's most expensive violin and uh, quickly the tickets sold out. The music hall was filled. The night came uh, for the man to play the violin and they all came and, and uh, when he came out on the, uh, on the stage to play there was a hush that came across the building as he began to play that violin. They were in awe to what their ears heard. They couldn't believe it. They'd never heard anything quite like it in their life as they came to hear the world's most expensive violin. He played and they cheered. He played another song and they cheered. He played and it went on for an hour. Every time them cheering, asking him to play on and on. And after an hour of him pleasing them with beautiful music, he took that violin and the crowd watching on and he raised it over his head and he smashed it over a wooden chair. I mean, they they could couldn't believe it. They gasped, but for air thinking, what in the world has this man done? And he announced to them, you came to hear the world's most expensive violin. What I have been playing is a copy of the least expensive model that you can buy in any music store in New York City. For you see, the music is not made from the instrument. The music is made from the musician that's using the instrument. I don't want to be the world's most expensive violin. I just want to be in the hand of the master musician. He then reached to a case under the chair and he pulled out the violin they'd all come to hear. 
Very few could tell the difference in the sound of the two because, you see, it is the master. It is a musician that makes the difference. And when I think of what God wants to do in our heart and in our life, it's far greater than what you and I could ever dream or imagine to do for him. And I'm not just talking about the work of a local church. I'm talking about your marriage, putting that in God's hand. I'm talking about your life, putting that in God's hand. I'm talking about your business saying, Lord, I want to put that in your hand. God doesn't know just how to run a church. He knows how to run a business. He knows how to take care of a life. He knows how uh, we're supposed to rear children to put that in his hand. And that's the way it is. God wants us to give him our very best. And yet it is the master musician that makes the music what it is. In our text verses, uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus uh, saw Nathanael. And when he met him, he uh, told him, he said, I saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree. Now, while that was humanly impossible and it so impressed Nathaniel. It was possible with Jesus and Nathaniel, but it wasn't just Nathaniel. That's you and me. God saw us before we met him. May I say that Jesus had called Philip to follow him. Philip told Nathaniel. He came to Jesus. Jesus saw Nathaniel. He told him that he had seen him before. Nathaniel couldn't believe it. He said, I believe now that you're God. May I say this morning, God sees us. He saw us before we were born. He saw us in our mother's womb. He w- we are the joy that was set before him when the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 who for the joy that was set before him the Bible said he endured he despised the shame and the suffering that he endured that for the joy that was set before him may I say that the joy that was set before him was your salvation and my salvation a Calvary wasn't a, a second plan it was the plan of God before the foundation of man God knows what's going on but greater than all of that and don't miss it this is a message he also sees what we can be in him he sees what we can be in him when I see young men like these young men here and young ladies like these here I often think of potential I think of what they could accomplish if they would give themselves to study and, and character and, 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 and learning and preparation. But even more than that, what could you be if you put your life in God's hand? For you see, the word consecration in the Bible simply means for me to put my life in God's hand. Here, Lord, do what you want to do. I ask you the question this morning, and I, I don't want you to answer me out loud, but I ask you the question this morning, has there been a time in your life that you've said, God, I just want to put my life in your hand and see. I, I, I just want to know how you would lead and guide and direct me. By the way, you don't have to live in wonder and worry what's God going to do. You can open the pages of the Word of God. That's God's revelation. That's God's vision. That's God's desire in our lives. But to put our hands into God's life, uh, put our lives into God's hand. God knew us before birth. He knew us in our mother's womb. He knew us from Calvary. He knows his will for our lives today. Think of this illustration. I was reading the news recently, and they were talking about baseball. And I was looking to see if the Reds had any chance this year. I'm sorry, but it doesn't look real good. But anyway... Here's what they were doing. They were talking about player trades 
and the impact of these players on the team in the coming year. And they had a list of players. Some were pitchers, the other were hitters. And, and then there were the Reds. Uh, but anyway, uh, there, was, there, was a, there was the pitchers and then there were the hitters. And, and, and they talked about what they expected from these people. And they told about how much they paid for them. And they, they, I mean, huge contracts, millions of dollars to pitch a baseball, millions of dollars to hit a baseball. And there was an expectation of them. And, and as I read that and I was working on this sermon, I thought of what Paul said. And I read the verse to you from Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 12. He said this, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul said, he saved me for a reason. He made me for a reason. Now I want to fulfill the reason for which he saved me. May I say this morning, he didn't just save us from hell. He didn't just save us to go to heaven. There is a life to live between here and there. And God has a plan for our life. God has a purpose for our life. And sanctification is to take our life and to put it in God's hand and say, Lord, do with it what you want. You may say, I'm not putting my life in his hand. I thought about that when I read about the baseball players. They didn't ask them what town they wanted to live in. Now, what would make a guy willing just put his hand, put his life in somebody else's hand? You can tell me what town to go to. You can tell me what uniform to wear. You know what the key was? Millions of dollars. You pay a guy $10 million a year, he'll wear whatever color you want him to wear. You pay a guy $10 million and he'll live in whatever city you want him to live in and play ball in. But I want to tell you something. There's something far greater than money that God has to give. And that is a joy that only the Savior can give. That's a satisfaction that only God can give. And I willingly put my life into God's hand and say, Lord, I'll wear whatever color you want me to wear. I'll live in whatever town you want me to live in. I'll preach your gospel because that is a life worth living in God's will. God saw you before you were born. He saw you in your mother's womb. He saw you in life. And not only that, he sees what God can do with us. I give you this illustration. I think of David, the youngest of Jesse's sons in the Bible. Uh, Saul had been the king, but he had disobeyed God to the place God said, I'm going to have to replace you as king. Now, he did not replace him immediately, but he chose a replacement. The Bible says that the prophet Samuel had wept and prayed through the night. And he had said, God, we need a king and we need a king. And God said to Samuel the next morning, he said, I provided for me a king. I want you to go to the house of Jesse and of his sons. I have chosen the next king. I want you to go and I'll let you know which of the sons it is that you were put the oil on his head and anoint him as being king. Now Samuel had a problem. He said, if Saul finds this out, he will kill me. So here's what God said. He said, don't tell them why you're there. Just tell them you've come to make a sacrifice to God. And that's what he did. He went to Jesse's house. He said, Jesse, I've come to make a sacrifice to God. I'd like for you to call all of your sons in. I want to see all of your boys. And so he did. One boy he didn't call in. That boy was tending to chores. That boy was taking care of the sheep. He was just a young lad. We would find out later he's not even old enough at this time to be a part of Israel's army. And they draft him young. 
but he wasn't old enough for that. And he wasn't old enough, so he was at home. The Bible says that Samuel, as he looked at Jesse's sons, he came to a boy by the name of Eliab. And Eliab was a big boy in stature according to the Bible description. And Samuel the prophet made this statement, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Now he made that statement no doubt because he reminded him of Saul. Saul was a big man. The Bible said he was head and shoulders above everyone else. And when he looked at Eliab, he was looking for somebody that looked like Saul. He was looking for somebody that looked like a king. And he declared, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Holy Spirit of God said to Samuel, no, he's not the one. Well, maybe it's this one. Well, maybe it's this one. And there was no peace came in the mind or heart of Samuel the prophet. He said, Jesse, do you have any more sons? He said, well, I have one, but he's a lad. He's out taking care of the sheep. He said, will you get him and bring him in? And the Bible said that when David came in, God confirmed in the heart of Samuel the prophet that David was the next king. It wasn't the one who looked like a king. He wasn't the one that reminded him of a king. He was just a shepherd boy. And when others saw just a shepherd boy, God saw a king. I'm not asking you to look at yourself as a king today. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying maybe I'm a king in God's eyes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just yielding to God and being what God wants me to be because you may see yourself as a lowly individual. You may see yourself with little worth or little value. Put yourself in God's hands and see what God wants you to be and what God wants you to do. That's what vision is all about. Not being able to see things better with my eyes but to be able to see things through God's eyes. My children have said to me at times that we, we, we were looking at something, maybe at a zoo or something, and a little child said, Daddy, I can't see. Pick me up. I'd pick them up so they could see. So the barrier wasn't in the way they could see over the barrier. Can I tell you, you and I, in our life and in our wisdom, there's a barrier that we can't see. But if we'll yield ourselves to God, he'll pick us up above the barrier so we can see what God would have us to see. Ask yourself the question this morning, what does God want to do with my life? You may say, well, I'm not a young lad like was David. I've made mistakes in my life. There's little I could do for God. I remind you of what he made Israel, the father of the great nation of Israel. He made that from a man by the name of Jacob. Jacob was a conniving individual. Jacob deceived his own father. Ah, but God was working in the heart of even Jacob. And the Bible said Jacob came to the place of honesty with himself and honesty with God. And when God saw the honesty in his life, he said, you'll no longer be Jacob, but you'll be a prince with God. And his name was changed to Israel and God gave to him 12 sons and the nation of Israel stands today. And the only reason you can explain that that little nation is in existence today is because God protects it. It's surrounded by enemies. It's surrounded by folks. They hate Israel so bad they shoot at us. 
Because we're their ally. Why don't they destroy Israel? I'll tell you why. Because God's hand of protection is there. Where did that come from? It came from a man by the name of Jacob. Oh, if you read about Jacob, he lived life to do everything he could do to improve his own self-worth. Even if he had to connive and steal and deceive, but he finally came to the place he put his life into God's hands. And he became far more than he could have ever become by himself. I'm not asking us to see ourselves as a king today as God made of David. But I am saying, would you consider presenting yourself to the will of God to do as he pleases? You say, I've done that before. It ought to be a daily occurrence in our lives. Take your Bibles and go with me to Romans chapter 12. Two final passages as I come to a close. Romans chapter 12, you've listened fast. I'm doing well, I'm almost finished. Romans chapter 12, and then we'll look at Romans chapter 10 in closing. Romans chapter 12, Paul is saying to the Christians at Rome, they've already been saved. Many have already yielded their lives to God, but this was to be a daily practice and attitude. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now that, that, that sounds impossible. Sacrifice is something that you take its life. You present it as a sacrifice. But he said, I want you to be not a dead sacrifice. I want you to be a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now notice this right here, that you may prove, that you may experience, that you may prove, that you may find out what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. They said, Nathaniel, you've got to come and see Jesus. Jesus is no doubt the one the prophets have been talking about. Nathaniel said, Jesus is from Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Come and see. And he came on the invitation, come and see. And when he came and he saw Jesus, before he could introduce himself, Jesus said, you're Nathaniel, an Israelite in whom is no guile. How did you know who I am? How did you know that? He said, I saw you when you were there under the, uh, un, uh, under the um, fig tree. God knows. Take your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 10, and I'm finished this morning. We have a tendency, it's our nature. Please listen to what I'm saying in closing. It is our nature to give it our best, to do everything our best, but do it in our own way. And many people have even been trying to get to God in their own way from the time of Cain to the time of the Jews and the days of Paul's life. I want you to notice what he said, brethren. Romans 10:1. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That means to be born again. That means to receive Christ as Savior. Notice what he says, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, all oh, please don't miss it, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. 
What does that mean? Let me, let me quickly tell you a story. I was at the governor's inauguration four years ago. I was, I was a part of an opening ceremony, and they said, don't wear the lanyard around your neck because of cameras. We, we, don't want, we just want the, uh, just, just wear your suit. Don't wear the lanyard. I then went from there to the Capitol building. Now, to get in the Capitol building, to get in the Capitol building, you have to have, had to have the lanyard. When I got there, the state policeman said to me, Sir, where's your lanyard? I said, they told me not to wear it because I was at the previous ceremony. He said, well, you can't come in. I said, well, I have to come in. I'm a part of the, uh, the, the ceremony with the governor. I have to come in. He said, without a lanyard, you can't come in. I went, I went back and another policeman I saw, he said, where are you going? I said, I can't get in without a lanyard. He said, I'll get you in. And so a guy with a state trooper uniform said, I'll get you in. I'm walking beside him, and he said, this is Pastor Fugit. He needs to get into the, uh, the Capitol building. And the state policeman said he doesn't have a lanyard. I already told him, no lanyard, you can't come in. And he said that to another state policeman and me. So I left. I was walking away. This time the governor was coming in. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to get my lanyard. I said, I can't get in without a lanyard. He said, go with me. And here's what he said. Joel, let me, come over here. Let me show you something. Here, here's what he said. He said, I'll be your lanyard. And he did this. State trooper right here. He said, he's with me. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Now, now, some folks are trying to get into heaven their way. Jesus said there's only way to, one way to get in, and that's me. I'm the only one can take in. You say, but, but, but I deserve to go in. Doesn't matter. You can't get in even if you did deserve. But, but I've given this much money and I've been this kind of a person. Doesn't matter. The only way you can get in is to go in with Christ. Now, now, now wait a minute. He said this, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. They want to do right, but it's not according to knowledge. My dad's standing there saying, son, can I show you how to use that hammer? I, I, I tell you, one day he really helped me. I, I was using a saw, and boy, I was bearing down on that saw, and I was trying to cut it, uh, cut that board. Son, can I, can I show you something? He took that saw, and he just started like a sissy. He said, he said, just go easy. Let the saw do the work. There's teeth on the front of the saw. There's teeth on the back of the saw. You're using just a little part and pushing as hard as you can. Use the whole saw. And you know what he did? He cut the board in two half the time I was doing it with half the strength. I, they have a zeal of God, but it's not according to knowledge. Here's what he's saying. I appreciate you wanting to serve me, but I'll tell you how we could do this better. If you'll just yield your life to me, I'll give you the strength. I'll give you the, I'll give you the grace. I'll give you the ability. I can use you better then you can serve me by yourself. Stand with me if you will. I'm finished preaching.
Are we going to do it our way or God's way? That's the question. There's a difference in preaching and teaching. Teaching displays the truth. You can go home and say, boy, that was a sweet truth. Preaching says you've got to make a decision. Are you going to do what the Bible says or are you going to ignore it? That's the difference of teaching and preaching. And preaching this morning says, are you going to live your life? Try to serve God or are you going to say, Lord, I'm going to give my life to you and you can do whatever you want. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning to understand much more can be accomplished when we come to the place of just total surrender and say, Lord, you can do it your way. You can use me as you will. I pray for folks that need to be saved this morning. Perhaps they've gone about to establish their own righteousness. May they accept yours this morning. I pray your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen.